0: hey everybody welcome to another episode of Almighty podcast this is Adam your host and I've got my good buddy Atkins here with me as well
1: I am I am here as always when we record together the two together of
0: us. yes just the two of us just this us. is where this is where we start singing a song together right
1: no I don't sing <laughs> I mean I, I make sounds that some might misconstrue as singing. But yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm, listen, I'm not winning any American Idols anytime soon, let's hey, just say that.
0: me either, but I've just played way too many Bards in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to
1: stay away from them for that very reason, for fear of a DM being like, do you sing something? Well, then I need you to do it at the table. Yeah. At Wes- which point, I uh, commit suicide with my Bard and move on to a silent rogue.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a good way to do it as well. <laughs> well, we're not here to talk RPGs. We're here to talk Almighty Podcast, which is all about My Hero Academia. Uh, what did we watch this week? Episodes 20 and 21, right?
1: Yes, sir. Two jam packed episodes, actually, because they kind of are into this uh, world tournament style 1v1 uh, series of matches between the top 16 in this um, competition that they've got staged amongst all of the classes at UA.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's been really good. These episodes were awesome. Uh, episode 21 left off on kind of a cliffhanger, uh, which you know I'm kind of bummed about because I did not want to stop watching. Uh, but that's all right. We'll watch it next week sometime, right?
1: Yes, and we will obviously invite all of our viewers to do the same. Don't get too far ahead of us, especially if I you're know. watching this with green eyes. It's way more fun, trust me, if you listen to what we're saying without knowing all that's coming down the pipe. Because you know, this the show could go both ways. I think people can watch it with zero experience whatsoever with My Hero, uh, and kind of do this journey along with us. And as many as can do that, totally should. But you know, people that are already big My Hero fans have read all the you know uh, volumes of the manga, and they're up on the show. They can get pleasure out of how wrong we are.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now you've started watching the, or you've started reading the manga, right?
1: I have, in fact, these two episodes bring us to the very end of volume four.
0: Are you enjoying it? Is it a pretty pretty close to the TV show?
1: Yeah, it's it's actually impressive how close the two mediums run to one another. Now, obviously, the manga is a lot more compressed, um, so the anime you know expands on a lot of these scenes. But the manga moves at a pretty fast clip, actually. Um, but it huh. covers... I, I haven't run across any filler in the manga. We haven't really had any filler in the anime. So I, I enjoy that aspect of it. That they are... So far, they have avoided filler territory. And that is a good move.
0: Yeah, and not only have they avoided filler territory, but I even mentioned this to you before we started recording. One of the cool things about this show is that there's not a lot of fluff. Like, if this was any other anime on a 1v1 kind of tournament you would almost have two episodes dedicated to every fight and in episode 21 we get what four fights so i thought that was pretty awesome you know
1: yeah and you know some anime writers some show writers some directors whatever you want to call them they like to showcase these characters that they've designed which i think is great i mean we, we enjoy seeing the characters showcases especially their powers but my hero is taking a much slower approach to showcasing all of these characters and their powers and their backstories. And so because it's a slower burn, you know, it do, we don't feel like we've seen it all 20 episodes in. You know, we, we, are, yeah. not, we are not at all familiar with everything that everybody can do. I um, can't even keep up
0: their names most of the
1: time. Yeah, that's true. We definitely <laughs> don't know what powers they're using or how they could use them. I mean, we, we're continually surprised with how people use their powers because we haven't already seen it all.
0: Yeah, and there were quite a lot of surprises in this one. I mean, right off from the bat.
1: Right. I mean, and this one starts off with a fight. I mean, there's there's no we pick up right where episode 19 left off, which is with uh, Midoriya and Shinso standing in the arena. Um, and there's there's a little bit of a discussion right before this takes place where Aizawa is actually ta- he's kind of complaining about the brokenness of the entrance exam because we've already seen by the by the beginning of episode 20 we've seen Shinso's power kick into effect, that he's already stunned Midoriya and has told him to go and walk off the edge of the arena. And Aizawa, in the midst of this, starts talking about how broken the entrance exam is, that there are, there are certain quirks that cannot shine in an entrance exam that are absolutely stunningly powerful. And this kind of gets to a little bit of what you've complained about before, maybe not complained about, but pointed out. This addresses some of what you say about some of the quirks making the cut like, how in the world does Mineta get in and Shinso not? And it might be because of the system that's in place. Um, yeah,
0: I think at this point, I really feel like they need to reevaluate their entrance exams.
1: Yeah, Aizawa se- certainly seems to think that way as well.
0: Yeah, and you know what's interesting is they even mentioned, I think it was Aizawa that was saying, if it hadn't been for the fact that Midoriya or Deku had been training for the last six months and kind of got physically fit, Shinzo would actually have been ahead of him, I guess. So he would have actually been in Class 1A, and Midoriya would have been in 1B.
1: Yeah, and he, he also mentions that in a, as things are right now, in a totally quirkless brawl, Midoriya would beat the pants off of Shinzo physically. Right,
0: which is the only reason why Midoriya is actually in 1A instead of Shinzo.
1: Right. He outperformed them at that base level.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would be interested in a quirkless battle who would win, uh, Manetta or Shenzo. Because <laughs> that I, would be I, interesting. I still don't think Manetta should be in 1A. <laughs> There's no... Like him and Yuga, the naval laser guy? Yeah. Neither of them. Nope. Like I, they would be in like 1D for me.
1: I'm with you when it comes to Naval Laser Guy. We'll talk a little bit more about that when it comes to his battle with Mina a little bit later. Is it in this episode or next? I can't remember. It's in
0: episode, it's episode 21, yeah. Because okay. in this episode, we we're like like you said, we start right back off. Uh, Midoriya is currently entranced by Shenzo, and he is walking off the edge. And we see this kind of interesting scene because is walking off the edge, and he's even talking to himself like, man, Ojiro warned me, and I went ahead and talked to this guy anyways. And they kind of do this flashback where Ojiro tells him like, hey... I don't really know what's going on with Shinzo, but this guy, if, if you respond to him, I think he can control your mind. So go out there, don't talk to him, and beat him for you and me, which I thought was kind of neat. Uh, we don't really know much about Ojiro, but I kind of like him just from the little bit that we've seen. He seems like he's a kind of a neat guy.
1: Yeah, and we see that Midoriya and Ojiro have already established a certain measure of rapport because Ojiro, after he makes this explanation to Midoriya, fist bumps him, And basically asks Midoriya to go and fight for his honor or or on his behalf, like in defense of his pride and his honor because of, you know, he had to step down or not. He didn't have to, but he did step down um, from this battle because of uh, a certain measure of pride where he didn't feel like he earned his way here. But he still wants to to see Shinso go down for dirty play, basically.
0: Yeah, almost like a revenge sort of deal. Yeah. So, and this is where Ojiro actually tells Midoriya, like, "Hey, I don't know that there's anything that actually breaks it, but what I do know is that I seem to snap out of it when someone else ran into me." And so we get we go back to the stadium. Midoriya is about to walk off the edge, and he's kind of freaking out. He's even talking to himself, kind of working himself up. Like, I don't know what to do. I can't bump into anyone. There's there's really nothing I can do. And we see off into the distance these like eyes that are glowing in a dark hallway. And he right. kind of focuses in on them, and I, th- I believe there are eight people, yes. and oh, off the bat, I, my wife and I have been watching these together, and off the bat, I even told her, I was like, I'm willing to bet that these are all the people that have handed down the one-for-all powers, and they're going like, to snap him out of this somehow. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Uh, it seemed like he snapped his fingers and shot a blast down to the ground, and it was just enough to snap him out of this. And that was, it was so cool. But even he kind of has this moment where he's like, well, who were those people?
1: Yeah. So two notes on this kind of weird state that Midoriya finds himself in is number one, imagine how scary it would be to have no faculties over your own body, but have complete mental acuity. Like he was able to have this conversation with himself and to think for himself, but had no control physically over himself. That would scare me to oh, death. Oh yeah. It's
0: a lot like uh, sleep paralysis. Have you ever had that happen?
1: I've never had that happen, but I've heard descriptions of it or oh, it's similarly awful. where like people will go in for, they'll, they'll get like anesthesia for a surgery and they will, they won't be able to move, but they, and or open their eyes, but they can feel everything and they can oh. think it's like they're conscious while everything is going on. That, that sounds that awful. experience, I want no part of any of that. That's scares that is the life out of me.
0: Legitimately the reason I've never had any surgeries done. I've never been under for that exact reason.
1: So the second thing I was wondering about is the, about this vision. He sees, like you said, eight figures or eyeballs. Some of them had shapes because he later on mentions to All Might that one of them looked like him, had, his, had either he had his, his eyes. eyes or his hair. Yeah. Um, so do you think that there's a chance that the One for All is somewhat or somehow sentient?
0: Well, so here's what I think, and I'm going to throw this theory out here at you, and, and and I'm kind of curious what you think about it, because I, if I remember correctly, you're a fan of the last Avatar series. Yes. So what if this is like the Avatar? Like, the one for all has been handed down. Uh, assumingly, at least eight people. Midoriya would be the ninth, right? Uh, because we saw eight figures. So what if these past figures are kind of in his head now? Sort of like how the Avatar could go into the Avatar mode and converse with all of the old Avatars to gain yeah. knowledge. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like... Maybe in times of need, these other figures can appear to him and kind of give him some sort of knowledge or help him out in a stressful situation. Because even All Might mentions like, hey, I had this sort of a similar vision at a hard time when I was a
1: kid. It's weird though, because All Might specifically says that the vision cannot interfere or interact with Deku and he can't have any interactions with him.
0: See, I don't believe him. I almost wonder if All Might triggered this somehow. And he's just not telling us.
1: Oh, that's an interesting theory. I hadn't thought about that.
0: Yeah, my first thought was that All Might did this because All Might was in the same hallway. And, you know, there's another interesting thing. Like, whenever they're talking to Recovery Girl about this, uh, you know, he tells All Might, like, yeah, I feel like one of these figures had your eyes. And then he walks off after being recovered. Recovery Girl says, oh, wow. So he's seeing you there too. Like, what is there? What does that mean? Like, that is such a that's such a mysterious statement, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, does that mean that there's some sort of um, afterlife area, like after power area that Deku or Midoriya could go to and receive counsel from all of the previous one for all owners?
1: I don't know, because he... All Might responds to that from the recovery lady. So she says something like, so you were there too. And he just says something like, that's good, or that's not a bad thing. Yeah, but I
0: wonder if this means that All Might's going to die. Like, if this means that All Might is slowly going to this
1: other place. Interesting. Well, and I wonder now, that I had no theories on what that meant for him until you had mentioned that he might have been standing in that hallway. Because then it could have just been like, well, yeah, he's got eyeballs. Of course he would see me.
0: He didn't really seem to react to Midoriya too much when he said it either. Like, almost like he knew that it might happen. Or maybe he he was aware that it was going to happen. He did seem
1: a little shaken up, though. All Might did when Midoriya first mentions it to him. Like, he was taken aback or shocked. Like, maybe he, to to piggyback off of your theory, maybe All Might did something and thought that Midoriya would be insensitive to it. Like, unable to pick up on it, but he did. Like, he is sensitive to it. And he even mentions that it could mean that he's growing more attuned to the one for all.
0: Yeah, and I wonder, so I, I love All Might, you know that, but I kind of wonder if he is maybe fudging the truth a little bit for Midoriya's sake. Like, he doesn't want, he knows Midoriya kind of has this complex where he relies on everybody, or he feels like he does. Even though, in reality, like, he's had a lot of help, M- Midoriya's worked really hard for it, too. Right. I wonder if he told him this just so that way Midoriya wouldn't feel like he unjustifiably got out of that situation.
1: I'm a fan of your theory, and we're gonna we're going to keep that as our are in canon theory until we're proven otherwise.
0: Yeah, I kind of uh, I kind of liken this to maybe the Jedi going into that like, after plane or into the Force. Maybe the people that are part of One for All, after they transfer their powers, as it's getting siphoned off from them, they can kind of go into this like afterlife area that other people can converse with. And I, I like that a lot. I think that would be really neat if that's what it was.
1: Agreed. But he's he's able to channel the one for all in this fugue state that he's in. Snaps himself out of it literally with his fingers, um, and then he does manage to keep control of his mouth and just goes to straight up fisticuffs with Shinso. And, and Shinso
0: fights back too. Like I didn't expect that at all.
1: Yeah. He well. He tr- yeah. He tried. I mean, c- because he's ambitious, and this is something that we're going to talk about in just a second. But they. Blows are exchanged, and then Deku body slams the life out of Shinzo. Like it was Just like hard like a body slam.
0: Yeah, it was it looked brutal. It looked really brutal. It did. It was kind of really touching too because the whole time that he's fighting off with Shinzo in the like what three seconds that this all takes place, Shinzo's berating poor Midoriya. Like, you know, you must you're so blessed and you're so lucky to have the powers you have. And this Shinzo guy has no idea what midoriya has been
1: through. Right. I, I, I
0: feel like they could be best friends if they knew each other better.
1: Yeah, I got the same sense because there is a certain element of dramatic irony in what we know about Deku's story story that uh, Shinso doesn't. And if Shinso if Shinso knew all that Midoriya had done to get to this place, that he wasn't just gifted and blessed, he wasn't born with a silver spoon. To use an old idiom, um, that he's he's ambitious in a very similar way to that shinso himself is that they would actually be buddy buddy but i don't I, I don't think that that's off the table necessarily after the dust settles on this fight either
0: no i mean there was a scene that i really loved where after midoriya has been kind of crowned the victor Shinzo's walking away and Midoriya finally stops him and he says hey shinso why do you want to be a hero and Shinzo says, sometimes you can't help what the heart desires. And I love that. Like, that's really, that's kind of pretty, you know?
1: Right. And we get, is it, is it around this time that we get the background? Like, we go back in time to like a a flashback of Shinso, I guess earlier on his regular school years. I don't think it was at UA.
0: Yeah, it wasn't because it showed up at least in the English version. It said three years ago in middle school. So, because he's a freshman at UA, so he would probably be in sixth grade, I think, which is about when quirks are developed, I believe.
1: Yeah. And he's got a couple of other classmates around him and they're impressed with his quirk. And they keep talking about how the perception of his quirk is ideal is that it is ideal for villainy. They're like, oh, please don't use it against us. And man, you could do whatever you wanted to. Um, Yeah, there's
0: actually even kind of like, I think a, a creepy, I couldn't tell if it was a chick or a dude, but they were like, please don't enslave me.
1: Right, yeah. This scene was really interesting to me because I took a class in college called the Psychology of the Holocaust. And in that class, I was tasked with writing a paper wherein we, we turned these papers in anonymously. It was basically just like a participation grade kind of thing. And the professor invited us to write a short paper on what we would do if we could turn invisible. And he wanted us to turn them in anonymously because he wanted us to be honest with what we would do with that kind of power. And of course, the majority of the papers he would come to discover as he read through them were kind of villainous. I mean, it was people doing the, the base and the animal, like sneaking into the opposite gender's locker rooms and stealing blah 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 and not being able to be picked up on cameras and all this kind of stuff um so i i, I get where these kids are coming from invisibility like if you were to just ask anybody out, out on the street they might tell you that they would do some more innocent things but their mind is immediately going to flick to the more dastardly things that you could do um if you had that kind of power and they seem to think the same thing about Shinzo's ability to literally control people
0: yeah, and I guess I kind of get that, though. I mean, more than likely, I would say most people get the mind control ability, and they're only going to be able to use it for dastardly deeds. You know, yeah. they're, I, would, I would say most people would probably be villainous with a power like that.
1: And Shinzo's response is just, that's, that's just what the world is like. Yeah. Um, with, and it's in, really sad. With regards sad. to this perception.
0: Yeah, it's awful, because even he kind of has this moment where he says, like, all these people think I'm going to turn out to be a villain, but I'm not. I I want nothing to do with that.
1: Yeah, he he... really wants to be a hero, to be good. That's the goal he keeps going on about, too, when he's talking to Midoriya, when he's talking about his classmates. But the system currently, as Aizawa was pointing out at the top of the episode, is sort of stacked against him. And Midoriya resonates with him when he says that you can't help what you long for. Um, when 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 Midoriya initially asks him why why do you want to be a hero, and he gives that response, he felt Midoriya felt that way before getting the one for all.
0: Oh, yeah, like he's been fighting his own battles to be a hero himself. So that's why I'm saying these guys should be best friends. Like, someone needs to pull them aside, like All Might or Azawa or someone to be like, you two, kiss and make up, be friends, <laughs> you know. And what's great is after we see these two fight, and obviously Midoriya wins, Shinzo is walking kind of, I guess, back into the locker room area. And after Midoriya asks him this question, Shinzo takes him back over again. And he tells Midoriya, like, hey, just so you know, a lot of people are gonna take advantage of you you know like you know what my power was and you're talking to me that's dumb yeah. and so he lets him go and then Midoriya goes yeah you're right and then he takes him back over again and that killed me I thought that was hilarious <laughs> I thought that was so funny uh, but we get a, a really great redeeming moment too where when Shinzo's walking into the crowd his class leans over and they're like dude you you killed it. Like, you did so good out there. We're so proud of you. Like, all of his friends were backing him up, and then behind them are all of these pro heroes going, yeah, I could see how we could use him. He'd be great on my team. Like, five or six different ones. So that's got to feel good from Shinzo's perspective. Like, yeah, he may not get into 1A today, but that doesn't mean that other heroes aren't already looking for him. You know?
1: Right. I mean, our exposure to him up until this moment in this episode is that he's kind of creepy, and he definitely has this air of villainy, just the way that he kind of skulks around and the way that he talks to people, even the way that he's drawn a little bit kind of, yeah. kind of makes him look like he might be uh, on the, on the villain edge of things. They, but they kind of
0: draw him like really strong out. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. But he's redefined in this episode as somebody who's just ambitious. He's very much a Midoriya character so far. And yeah, I like
0: and that. I do too. Uh, and I'll tell you, man, the, the writers got me like from the get go. I think I've said that I thought Shinzo was going to be evil and they proved me wrong i fell in love with them at the end of this episode
1: well maybe the principal will still turn out bad yeah i hope so
0: (laughs) i want that little polar bear to be evil i don't know why (laughs) i just think that'd be great uh so anyways right after we get this fight we see this really i mean infuriating scene between endeavor and Todoroki. i don't know about you but i was pissed off at the end of this scene
1: endeavor keeps getting worse yeah, we how already is he disliked a pro hero? him heartily by the end of our last episode on this podcast. But he keeps getting worse because he has this short conversation with Todoroki, and he says a couple of things that that just make him even worse. Like, I mean, we didn't we we already thought he was pretty darn bad, but he's talking. I, to I Todoroki. don't know how the
0: other heroes accept him. Like, every all the other heroes have to know that this guy's just like grade A douchebag, and no one says anything about it.
1: I wonder how much of this is just. Public knowledge, though, about how yeah. he is doing that quirk marriage thing. I, I I mean, how could it be public knowledge and him have that that very public persona?
0: I mean, who's going to tell Endeavor no?
1: Yeah, I mean, but we get in this episode, he's talking to Todoroki, and he's like, you're better than your siblings. You are my masterpiece, which tells us that Todoroki's not the first kid that he tried to... Curate? Engineer? um, I guess
0: not. Or maybe he was... Yeah, I guess not, because he he says something along the lines of, like, you're not... uh, What does he say? I think he says, you're better than all of my other creations. Your siblings are not nearly as good as you. Right. (laughs) Like, just the way he says it, you're like, God, that you're
1: gross, man. So, and I've got to imagine, just based on our experience with Endeavor so far... I kind of get this sneaking suspicion that all of his non-masterpiece kids, all of these siblings of of Todoroki's that exist in the world, that they have been totally discarded somehow by their trash heap dad. Like they get no love, no attention, and that infuriates Todoroki possibly even more than he would already have reason to be upset with his, now we presume, like it's safe to assume he's kind of a deadbeat dad too.
0: So I just had a thought, like two big thoughts that, I, that you just triggered. And I've got to tell you, first thought, what if we've already seen some of his other siblings? What, what if the villains from last season were maybe part of Endeavor's crew? Like maybe not the big villains like Nomu and uh, the creepy hand guy. I can't think of what his name is. But what if some of the guys that were attacking USJ were villainous because they were Endeavor's son or Endeavor's creation?
1: That- I, I mean, there's certainly room for that.
0: Yeah, and then, so that triggered my second thought. I have, and so far, this thought has been bust, but I still am clinging on to it. I'm convinced that there's someone that's betraying All Might. It would be really interesting if Todoroki had betrayed All, Ra- All Might somehow. He He's watching All Might, and he's watching Midoriya. He knows that his father wants to take out All Might, and he's even mentioned it himself a couple times that he's going to eventually beat All Might. I wonder if he was hoping the villains would just do it for him.
1: Yeah, that's a... Interesting idea.
0: Because he would have known All Might's schedule. Now, it's he true, doesn't He doesn't know that All Might's hurt, though. So that doesn't really hold up too much. But I'm still convinced that someone is, like, leaking information. And it may be the polar bear. I'm convinced it may be the principal.
1: Well, All Might doesn't seem to have that same inclination because he wants to sit down and have tea with Mr. Endeavor during the lunch break. Um,
0: That's true.
1: Or That's So true. he's either really naive or he's doing that whole keep your enemies closer bit.
0: I I think there's some precedence to say that All Might's a little naive.
1: Oh, yeah. There's definitely precedent for that.
0: But anyways, back into this episode and away from my crazy theories. Uh, this this scene between Endeavor and Todoroki had me pretty furious, man.
1: Uh, it pissed off Todoroki, too. I mean, he goes out into the arena, steaming mad from this uh, in, in, encounter that he had with his dad against poor Saro, the tape The boy. tape guy. <laughs> yeah. And he totally wrecks Saro. So Sero gets off... You know, present Mike is like, go. And Saro immediately wraps up Todoroki with his tape and starts swinging him out of the match or out of the arena, which I thought was a pretty smart move. I did too. I mean, he's he's seen what Todoroki can do. He's wanting in this quick, fast, and in a hurry.
0: Yeah, and even Saro says, like, hey, I think I got him. Like, he he gets kind of stoked for a minute.
1: Dude, Todoroki totally goes off, and he creates a literal mountain of ice. And encases Sero kind of at the front of it. I mean, this mountain is so colossal that it extends like out into the stands, out above the the roof of the arena.
0: Like Mount Lady and uh, Death Hands are standing out of the arena and they see this ice come out of it. And uh, what is it? Recovery Girl and All Might are in the room talking and they have like an earthquake. Like, yeah, (laughs) it was super overkill.
1: I thought that I was going to see Sero like flipping through the air and getting smaller and smaller from, like, a wide shot of the arena.
0: I uh, assumed he was accidentally going to kill Saro. Like, oh, he would have been, like, impaled yeah, be on the bad. end of that eye step. Yeah.
1: But Saro is just frozen in place because one of the rules is you could just immobilize your your opponent. And so uh, Midnight is just like, can you move? And he's like, no, I'm frozen. <laughs> so, and he, he also says something like, don't you think that's a bit much? And Todoroki goes over and he apologizes. And, and he even says... I, I was I was mad. Like, I was yeah. upset. And Deku, I think, makes this perception that Todoroki just looks really sad. Um, he does,
0: yeah. Yeah, at the end of this episode, he, he mentions, like, I looked into Todoroki's eyes, and I just saw sadness. And there's a really crazy bit here, too, where uh, I think Midnight, as she's talking to Sarah, she's also, like, frozen in half. Did you see that? Yeah. And and it kind of screams hands over to the uh, audience, and Mineta is in the background, and he's got this crazy face like, holy cow, what did I just see?
1: Mineta is great, man. He's, he's our expressive character.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, he is. Uh, but I felt really bad for Todoroki at the end of this episode. Like, he, he can barely control his powers when his emotions are that high.
1: Yeah, and I think that he feels even more frustrated by the fact that he let his dad move him to that place. Like I think Absolutely. he's trying so hard to give his dad no control, no effect over him at all. And this brief encounter in a hallway was enough to, to make him snap in this way that Todoroki f- even felt was beyond a line.
0: Yeah. Cause I think he j- legitimately felt bad for messing Sarah up that bad. Agreed. Uh, and, but it was kind of neat that he walked over and like melted him.
1: Yeah, and he, he could have just
0: left him there. He takes
1: the time to kind of melt that entire um, ice mountain thing. And episode 21, they're just like, all right, now that the arena's dry, let's get on with the rest of the. I mean, there's no. They, they don't waste any time. They're wanting to clip through these things pretty quickly.
0: And it leads right into this next fight with uh, the druid chick that we've been talking about and one of our favorites, Kaminari, uh, who I think last episode I called him Kirishima multiple times. So I, just forgive me now if I mess up their names.
1: Now, Kirishima is in this episode, but he's he not in this fight. He's later. He's on.
0: later. Yeah, uh, but this was awesome because we finally get to see her in action. And I thought it was interesting whenever they are introducing her. President Mike calls her an assassin.
1: Oh yeah, and she takes she takes offense to this.
0: Yeah, she's like, "What do you?" And she interrupts the whole thing and she pauses it. And she's like, "Excuse me, why did would you call me an assassin? I'm not coming out here to kill anybody." But it she's, makes me wonder why hippie-like. he would said that.
1: I don't know. I mean, I think he was just being like, you know, your ringside announcer, a little hyperbolic coming up. I mean, he's he's not had a lot of exposure to these students that either, I don't guess.
0: Well, he's so a teacher. I would expect him to. Like, he's yeah. the English teacher.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he's the but English teacher. But I guess maybe teacher. he doesn't
0: know his pow- their powers. Yeah, that's yeah. fair.
1: So but we, anyway, do get
0: to, we do get to see a pretty awesome showdown, uh, and Kaminari kind of falls in love with, uh, we know her name is Shiozaki, right? Yeah. And he he kind of falls in love with her, like he's noticing that she's got pretty hair and she's got a nice smile, and he, he opens up the fi- the eyes. That's the other one. He loves eyes her are eyes. one of the
1: first things I notice about somebody that I think is attractive as well. So I'm with yeah, him on that front.
0: Totally. Uh, and it's funny because he starts the fight out with like, "Hey, how about I take you out for a bite to eat later? Because I'm gonna win."
1: Yeah, he he. I don't know that he comes out and says it that way. I, I have that he implied it, but he implied it real real hard. He was like. You know, if you want to go out after the fight, I'll console you or something like this. Right. And And he
0: even says, like, we're going to have this over in two seconds. Right. And he tries to lay it down, and he fully powers up, throws electricity at her, and she does something kind of unexpected. And I'm not too sure what happened, so maybe you can help explain this to me. But it looked like she threw her hair into the ground. It disconnected and protected her and then grabbed him and constricted him.
1: Yes, that's about that's about what went down.
0: Okay, I couldn't tell if her hair disconnected or if it just stayed
1: attached. I think she was detached from it. Okay. Cuz one was like a big arching shield behind her between her and, and and Kaminari and then another bunch of it shot up out of the ground and immobilized him, which is how she won shit and win by a ring out or knockout. Right. She just got him stuck. And you and said I'm- you said that this was an awesome fight. I disagree. I didn't really? like this fight.
0: I loved it just because it was so unexpected. I did, not, like, I did not think she would win. I figured Kaminari would blast her with electricity. I assumed he would beat her within a couple seconds.
1: I think Kaminari needs a new shtick. Like right now, he, he just needs to figure out a way to have some finesse and multiple applications of his power. Because his strategy for this round was, I'm just going to turn myself into a moron and, and do the 1.3 million volts or whatever it is. That's probably going to be his strategy had he progressed for every single fight, and that can't hold up forever. I don't know. I, I'm just wanting for him to do something more, something yeah, I get that. you know And, and so I was just like, oh, of course he's, he's going to, you know, electrify her with 100 percent of his power, because that's all we've seen him do, pretty much. I mean, I mean he's, he's shocked with lesser voltage before, but it's it's always just that one application, just this big burst of electricity. And I want to see something that's a little bit more, I don't know, targeted or like the word finesse. Yeah. Yeah. Something that requires a little bit more than just, I'm going to, I'm going to blast real hard, you know?
0: I don't know. See, I love that because he's kind of the character that puts all of his eggs in one basket and just hope it works. And There's something about that that I like. Uh, I don't expect him to be like, you know, all might or anything.
1: Well, he's kind of of suffering from the same thing that Aizawa was suggesting Deku might suffer from, which is this idea that if he exerts his power, that he takes himself out of a fight.
0: So yeah, in the true. event
1: that he's on the field and he does his 1.3 million volts or whatever it's called and ends up stupefied and it does and it has no effect, then he's, he's boned. I mean, he's in yeah. just the same position that Midoriya is in.
0: Well, and we kind of saw that at the fight at USJ. I mean, he puts himself in a very vulnerable position and then Momo and I can't remember the earphone Jack Chick's name, but they end up having to protect her. Right, so, that's you Jiro, know. by the way. Jiro, thank you. Uh, yeah, I I get what you're saying. I kind of wonder, though, if he continues to practice using it, do you think he could get to a point where he could use it multiple times? Uh, kind of like a Yu Yu Hakusho.
1: Did you ever watch that anime? A little bit, when it was on Toonami.
0: Yeah, that was when I was watching it, and I remember when he first gets his spirit gun, he can only use it once a day. But then by the time that I stopped watching it, I want to say he could use it like seven or eight times a day.
1: Right. I, I definitely think that he's got room to grow, and I want, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I just want him to get there faster. We just haven't seen... We've seen progression and kind of new layers to the application of powers for almost everybody on this show except for him. So I was really disappointed in this battle. I liked seeing Shiozaki do something.
0: Yeah, but, that was. Cool. I don't know.
1: For him, I was just like, man, of course he's going to do that. I want to see him do something different. I, I don't know. I was just, I just felt it was a little lacking. That's all.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I will say, I loved seeing him carted off of the stadium uh, with his thumbs out and his goofy face. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that.
1: I realize I can't have my cake and eat it when it comes to him because I love stupefied Kaminari to death. Uh, Right. Right. I also don't love that. He just exerts himself every time and ends up stupefied. So, you know, what am I going to do? I have to, I can't have one and not the other. So I don't know. Right. It's catch 22 on my end.
0: Yeah, and so after this fight, we kind of see something interesting. At least I thought it was a little interesting. We go back up into the audience, and Midoriya is sitting there taking notes and muttering to himself about everything and everyone. And, you know, I just thought it was really funny because everyone around him is like, dude, really? Like, come on, let's just enjoy it. You know, like, you don't have to be working right now, but that's just our hero. Like, he's always going to be doing anything he can to get ahead.
1: Yeah, and I also have this note in here, too he's writing in the singed notebook that bakugo singed back in like the first one or two episodes did you yeah, catch that
0: I did yeah I thought that was really cool like I I assumed he just got a new one but it looks like he's still just chucking away at the same old one
1: yeah and in the manga it doesn't it doesn't look that way it looks like he's writing in a newer one it doesn't look like it's damaged or singed but huh, I, I kind of like that that he's kept that one around I mean it's well, got his notes
0: yeah so it's probably got what not? 10 15 years of notes in it
1: uh well at least that many heroes worth of notes in there cuz I think he's got several volumes of these notebooks.
0: Sure, that makes sense. Well, we go right into the next fight which is Ida versus uh Mei Hatsume. Th- this was kind of neat. Uh you had called it because we were discussing last episode who was going to fight who cuz we had I think two people or four people that we weren't sure who they were going to be matched against. Uh and yeah, so you were right, man. Ida versus uh, Hatsume. They It was uh, interesting because I was also sort of right, I guess. You were. Yeah. Hatsume ended up giving Ida some equipment and originally uh, Midnight wasn't going to let him use it. And then, you know, she, she's like, well, I guess since Hatsume gave it to you and you're fighting Hatsume, I guess that's okay. Whatever.
1: Yeah. And, and I hit pause when I saw Ida come out with a piece of her equipment on and I, ju- I took down two quick notes. I said, one of two things is going to happen for May, why she would do this, why she would give Ida a piece of equipment. The first guess was that she wants to show how quickly she can whip up a countermeasure to a power, and Ida just got suckered. Um, because I knew that she was she was always wanting to talk about her babies and getting her babies, you know, out uh, like on on a storefront, you know, in the in the big front window where people could see them.
0: Right, and, and that's kind of what I thought too.
1: So yeah, I thought that she was like, well, I went, you know, in the time between during the little athletic events or whatever, she went and she well, I guess she wouldn't have had that time because they did the drawing later, but maybe she just did it that fast. Um, came up with a counter to Ida's speed and suckered him into putting it on to be like, see how quickly I took him out once I knew what he could do. Yep, um, that's
0: exactly what I thought was going to happen. But it, tell us what really happened. I was pleasantly surprised.
1: Yeah, my second guess was that she was putting on a showcase because she, I don't think she's trying to win. No. I and mean, I was. this was validated too. I don't see that she has any reason to win I think that she just wanted a platform Um, and that one tended, that one was proven true. So her quirk isn't engineering, which is what I think I might've said a couple episodes ago when we first meet her. Um, Her quirk is zoom so she can see things far away. So maybe that serves her well that she could like zoom in instead of using, you know, magnifying glass or or whatever while she's working. Um, But she just puts on a showcase of all of her babies um, to the, uh, to the people out in the audience who are in the support business, I guess.
0: Right. And like up to this point, I think all of the battles have lasted maybe maximum of what, 30 seconds? Yeah. Not minute, maybe. And this one actually says like 10 minutes later and she's going through all of these things. Like, I don't think she wants to be a hero. She just wants to sell her equipment to all of the prospects.
1: Right. So she steps out because she'd done what she had came to do, which is yep. to put, put, put all of her babies out there for the world to see.
0: She turned and, into Billy Mays, man.
1: Like yeah. up there,
0: it, this was just a straight
1: infomercial. It definitely was. She, I mean, she would be perfect for QVC.
0: No, I will say I was kind of frustrated here though because I, right before they do the like ten minutes later cut, uh, she hits Ito with a net and he's laying there and he can't get out of it. Yeah, he's all immobilized.
1: Of, yeah, I had he's immobilized.
0: All of the other people, the moment that they've been immobilized, Midnight has been like, "All right, you're out." But with this one, they gave them enough time, I guess. Like my wife made the argument, well, maybe he got out of it, and we just didn't see it pretty quickly. He but wasn't I don't...
1: netted at the end; like it no. didn't look like he was still rolled up in the net. Because he is super ticked off by this tactic. He feels totally yeah. used. Um, he yeah. wanted, I guess, he wanted to show off his powers too and his his offensive capabilities. So he was frustrated.
0: I get the feeling we're going to see a really awesome fight next with him because he won. He's going on to the next bracket. So right.
1: So then we we kind of leave the arena. We go back up into the stands for a second. There's some conversations going on among some of the 1A students. And then Ochako just kind of gets up and leaves. And I just wrote down in here that Deku totally missed his chance or Midoriya totally missed his chance to encourage Ochako on her way out. And that I was like, oh, man, totally dropped the ball on this, man.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but I felt bad because I think we've kind of seen that uh, Ochako doesn't really like Hatsume. Like, I think think she feels... um no, I don't want to say intimidated by her, but I think she kind of is worried that Hatsume may steal Midoriya away from her.
1: Yeah, like I their do think friendship a you a little know? bit of potential jealousy, jealousy or envy going on there for sure
0: yeah because this is when Midoriya is writing down all of the cool stuff about Hatsume and not paying attention to a Chaco and she just kind of gets up and leaves and he doesn't even notice and I was like I was right there with you like dude you missed your chance here
1: yeah he redeems himself later on in the episode but not before what like three more matches take place kind of in yeah. the interim as he's standing out in the crowd and the first one is Mina versus Aoyama which is the dude that has the naval laser
0: yeah, I've got him written down as Yuga. I guess Yuga's his first name, and Aoyama yeah, right. is his last name. So this one was... I was looking forward to this one, because we don't really know much about either of them, but we do know that Aoyama's power sucks a
1: lot. Definitely. I have, the, I have at the end of this match, I just said, his quirk seems rather hopeless. It's unidirectional, and it has a limited duration. And even though he knows both of those things, especially the second part, the limited duration, he breaks his own rule and ends up putting himself in compromising positions.
0: Yeah, so I, I have to admit something to you here. I sort of feel like Ayama, and let me explain why. Okay. He, he has this power that he knows is pretty much worthless. Like, he can use it once or twice, and then after that, he gets a stomach ache,
1: right? Right.
0: Well, I have well, celiacs. I, I, c-
1: I think he can use it multiple times. I think it's a duration thing. Like, if he blasts for more than one second's duration.
0: Is that what it is? See, I assumed I that so. it was, I thought it was if he shot more than once. Like, he has one or two good shots, and then after that, it gives him a bad belly ache.
1: I think it's a duration thing. I could be wrong, but I think it's a one second prolonged blast is when he gets a ache because he sets off a bunch of blasts and then he does one that is much longer that... Uh, Mina has to kind of dodge around and under, and that's when he gets the stomach ache, and she gets her opening.
0: That's right. Well, I was going to make the comparison. I have celiac disease, which means I shouldn't be eating gluten things, but I eat gluten stuff all the time. Like, I know what's going to happen to (laughs) me, and I still do it. You know what I mean? That's fair. Um, But, you know, another part for him is he's kind of twinkly. Like, he always has these... um, It's almost like he's wearing sprinkles on his face or something. He's always twinkling. And he's
1: always looking at the quote-unquote camera. I I just picked up on it this episode that he is constantly looking at us through the lens that we're watching him through. So he's like fourth wall breaking with his eyeballs.
0: I just get the feeling he would be worthless in battle. Like, he can't hide because he's twinkling all the time. In fact, I think his superhero name is like Twinkle Toes or something.
1: Oh, really I hadn't gotten that far. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, he's the shining hero and he can't stop twinkling. I, I don't know man like I just feel like he can't hide from anybody he's got a pretty worthless ability he's another character that could take himself out of a battle and cause other people to get hurt real quick
1: I would kick Aoyama out of class 1a before I kick Mineta out I dare I said it
0: I uh, yeah you know I would agree with that but only because I like Mineta and so far Ayama has just kind of been a tool
1: Mineta even steals the show during this battle. Yeah, so There is he a does. fight between Mina and Aoyama and Mina is like using her acid to slip slide around the arena. Until, Which is so
0: cool. Yeah,
1: and she does this until Aoyama blasts you know, for that prolonged second because she even says, I know what your weakness is. Then he totally does it uh, and then she melts his belt um, and then uppercuts him. And at the beginning of this fight, there's, there's a couple of Mineta scenes in the midst of all this. At the beginning of the fight, Mineta yells out, to Aoyama, beat her like in those fighting games where the clothes get ripped off. Yeah, And then (laughs) his belt gets melted and his pants fall down. And then Mineta is like out in the crowd and he's frustrated. And he says something about wishing Mina had Aoyama's quirk and Aoyama had Mina's. And I'm guessing it's because he wanted Mina's clothes to be the ones who fell down. And possibly it was because he wanted to see her thrust her hips instead of him. During yeah. The, during the battle, because Perv's got a perv, man. That's just what he does.
0: You're you're not wrong. And Ayuyama, that is weird how he does his power. It's pretty much just like he's just hip thrusting. Yep. I don't know. So in the English version, uh, instead of saying that, Manetta gets frustrated and he says, Oh man, I got to see panties, but why did they have to be his panties? <laughs>
1: I I don't know if that was in the the Japanese version. It wasn't in the manga, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, the other people in Class 1A around him kind of like bonk him on the head, and they're like, dude, shut up.
1: Yeah, they're constantly (laughs) cutting their eyes at him and like speaking just very short little curt one-liners when he turns into perv. Yeah, yeah. So that match ends, and we get into Momo versus Tokoyami. Which Um,
0: I was really excited for. I expected this to be a long fight.
1: Me too. I've wanted to see Momo like in a prolonged battle since we learned what her quirk is and because she's one of the two who, well, that we're aware of anyway that got grandfathered in or or scholarshiped into UA. Like she didn't have to take the entrance exam. And so I was hoping that we would get to see her showcase some. But Tokoyami's dark shadow just pummels Momo out of bounds before she can conjure up a weapon. She's able to get a shield up, but Tokoyami uses his dark shadow to just beat against that shield until Momo is pushed just enough out of bounds. And so Momo during this fight, she spent a lot of time analyzing the fight without paying enough mind to the boundaries themselves. Uh, so that maybe that's a potential weakness for her. Like she just doesn't have enough like situational awareness. Huh. If that makes sense, because um, she's she's shocked. She was like, "Why did he stop fighting?" And and that's when she looks down and sees that she's been uh, she, she stepped out of the boundaries.
0: Yeah, and I'm kind of shocked here because. I, I don't know. I guess Momo, I, I, she seems smarter than that to me. Like she has the ability to maintain like all of this information about atomical structures and whatnot because that's how she manifests different stuff, right? Like she uses the – or she knows the like chemical compound makeup of them or something.
1: Right. I think that she just got lost in her thought if that makes sense. Yeah, and it does. In I so guess doing, she just became less aware of her immediate surroundings and that prov- that proved her downfall.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't know. I was just kind of shocked. Um, I expected more from her. You uh, like she seems like she's been incredibly effective in battle so far. So it kind of took me. I don't know. It, it just kind of took me back that she lost so quickly.
1: Well, and I do think this too. I still like the time restriction for her. That she has. It takes her time to manifest things that are larger. Right. That makes total sense. But when she does have the time to do it, she manifests a bow staff and I'm like, what in the world is that going to do against Tokoyami in the dark shadow?
0: (laughs) That's true. Yeah.
1: What was her plan with that? If, I mean, if she can manifest a cannon, you know, maybe she doesn't manifest a cannon and blow Tokoyami out of the, out of the ring or up. I don't know that repair girl could get around to fixing quite that amount of damage, but you know, something more than a stick might've been smart.
0: Yeah, you would think so. And, you know, another thing that shocks me about all of this is people continuously during this fight talk about how awesome Tokoyami's quirk is. Uh, yeah. but, you And, you know, the thing is, is like, yeah, it's really cool. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But we haven't really seen it be super, super powerful yet. You know, like it it's worked really well, I guess. But there's nothing that makes me go, well, he could probably beat Todoroki, you know.
1: I had the same note, that they keep hyping up, especially President Mike. President Mike says something like, he might have the best quirk of them all. Right. He could be being hyperbolic, but maybe he just is more keen on what Tokoyami is capable of than we are. But we still haven't seen Tokoyami cut loose. I mean, we've heard him talk about how his power is even greater in the dark, so I'm waiting for that. I want to see the dark shadow in the dark and see see what that's like.
0: Yeah, but I'm kind of... I don't know. There's a part of me that wonders if in dark... There's a part of me that wonders if at nighttime when it's dark, if he can't control that dark shadow and he has more evil intentions.
1: Mm, He does say that it becomes more unwieldy, for sure. Yeah,
0: I, I wonder if it's maybe not evil, but if it's kind of like... Yeah, I'll steal a soda. Who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like just really stupid stuff.
1: He's like those. He's like the uh, the Sour Patch Kids in the commercials where they're just like just a little bit evil.
0: Yeah, yeah, like just a little bit. That's um, I got to tell you, so I wanted to see what the deal was with uh, Yuga, Ayama, and his power. And it looks like you're right. Uh, it has something to do with like a, a limitation of time. So he can do it multiple times, but if he does it for an extended period of time, that's when he has issues. Interestingly enough, I did not put this together, and I'm curious if you did. Apparently, he is based off Cyclops from X-Men.
1: No, I wouldn't have got that.
0: I never would have got that either. Uh, but apparently, his naval laser is supposed to be just like uh, Scott's eyes. And his belt, apparently he's been wearing it since childhood, so I don't know if this is something we're going to see later, uh, but it says in his little write-up that he's been wearing it since he was a kid due to a birth defect, that he can't actually control that laser. So it's just like uh, Cyclops'
1: eyes. So if I had known that, that like without his belt, it's kind of like taking the ruby quartz glasses off of Cyclops' face, that would have made more sense. Knowing that now, I, get, I see the Cyclops' connection. Right. Uh, but but yeah, just up to the, p- this point in the show, I wouldn't have guessed that. In a million I years.
0: never would have guessed that either. That that kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, but that there you go. There's some interesting trivia for uh, Yuga.
1: And then, so after this this battle, we get <laughs> we get this like mirror match between Tetsu Tetsu and Kirishima, which I loved.
0: <laughs> this is and so they,
1: great. They both get the same intro from present Mike, and he both says he says of both of them that they're that they're he says manly and passionate hardening. And then again, I just put in parentheses, thank God it's not that kind of anime. Yeah. Because yeah. That's, that, that kind of conversation lends itself to that. Um, but then there's also this really quick scene of Manetta out in the crowd and he's asleep because there's no girls on the field. So why would he pay any attention? That made me laugh some. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. And that battle kind of takes place in the background of the show. Like there is some humor in it, of course, but I, I think you said it best when we were kind of off air that this was the perfect battle to have go on that we could actually peel our eyes away from and t- turn our attentions elsewhere, which we end up kind of in this like green room or waiting room for some of the heroes. Uh, Ochako has descended into this area. Ida goes after her and then Midoriya catches up with them as well. And we, we're, we're partied to that scene in a couple of cuts back and forth between this, this brawl between these two guys who whose powers are so similar. And it reminded me a lot of like an MMA match where you get two guys who are just stand-up strikers. Like They're like, I'm not taking this to the ground. I'm just going to punch you, and you're just going to punch me until one of us is KO'd.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned, this is perfect for us because we know what's happening in the background while we get some awesome exposition between Ida, Midoriya, and Ochako.
1: Ochako's kind of freaking out. She's she's a little nervous about this uh, battle with Bakugo. And Ida is in there, and he's trying to... Kind of calmer nerves. And he says something like, Well, I don't even think Bakugo would use a full strength blast against a girl. And Midoriya, I guess, either wasn't picking up on what Ida was trying to accomplish or is just faultlessly truthful. Is just like, uh, Yeah, yeah, he would actually. And yeah. kind of shakes up Ochako a little bit more.
0: <laughs> yeah, whenever Ida said that, my wife and I both were like, What are you talking about? Of course he would. I think Midoriya said that so that way Ochako was prepared. Because if she went into the th- battle thinking like, "Oh well, Bakugo won't really hit me that hard," and then he just absolutely wrecked her, she would probably be like, "Come on, guys, why did you tell me that?" You know. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, did you notice the creepy face she was making when Ida came upon her?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a conversation point between the two of them. Where yeah. he's he's like, "What is wrong with your face? What's wrong <laughs> yeah. with your brows?" I think is what he says.
0: <laughs> that cracked me up. I'm like, you would never say that to a girl. No. What's wrong no, with you your not. face? <laughs> Ida has a lot to learn. Definitely. But, but we do, we get a great scene here. Uh, Midoriya kind of makes up for his uh, lack of attention to Ochako whenever they're in the stands together because he offers her his handbook and says, well, I have an idea. I think I know how you can beat Bakugo.
1: And it was neat because she actually refuses it. Uh, I did not expect that. And she she refuses it on the grounds of some of the things that she's done and some inspiration that she drew from Ida, who's also in the room. So she's kind of frustrated with herself because she admits that, you know, when they were choosing teams for the cavalry battle, she kind of sold Midoriya on the idea that they should be together because they're friends and they're familiar with one another's powers. And she admits that she might've just been trusting in Midoriya to see her through the cavalry battle. Um, and then she talks about how she was kind of inspired, or at least challenged, by Ida's declaration of rivalry between him and Midoriya. And she says, we're, "We're all kind of rivals. You know, we're we're all striving to be heroes, and possibly even the top hero, each for our own reason. Her for her parents' sake. Ida for his family's honors' sake." Uh, Midoriya because it's his dream and it's All Might's desire uh, and he doesn't want to let him down so they're, they're all on this, this competitive ground and I think it's sunk into her in this scene in, in a way that it maybe hadn't before
0: yeah, I agree, uh, and I'm really, I'm. this may be a weird way to say it, but I'm kind of proud of her for doing that. Like, she's standing up for herself, she wants to do this on her own, and she has her own reasons for it, and I think that's awesome. Like, she she kind of admitted she doesn't need anyone else to help her out. She's going to do it her own way, and she's going to do the best she can, and I think that's great.
1: So she steps out into the ring with Bakugo, um, and he is just looking as villainous as ever in um, ambitious as ever, in, yeah. And uh, Ochako has this moment where her eyes are kind of closed, where she might be collecting herself, and then her eyes snap up, and you see this kind of resolution on her face. And that's where this episode ends. We're left like on the on the edge of a fight that I don't, I didn't think before that moment that I was really all that interested in it, but now I really, really, really am
0: yeah I am too uh, I'm really interested in seeing how she makes it through and I mentioned this to you I don't think that they're going to let Ochako go through with this like I get the feeling that she'll lose uh, and it'll be like a fail forward situation where she fails but she discovers something about her powers or she discovers something about herself there's no way that we're not going to see Bakugo and Midoriya in a one-on-one match in this
1: see I I think that she at least has an, a long shot chance of winning um, because we know that Bakugo's powers require him to get in really close. His his blasts aren't—I mean, they do have some range, but it's it's middle it's mid to close range for the most part, especially without his grenade hands. I guess where he can store it up like he did in the um, Heroes versus Villains simulation. So I imagine that what Midoriya's plan might have been for her was expect him to close the distance quickly, and her power also is is relying upon a certain close proximity because she's got to touch whatever it is that her quirk is going to interact with. So I thought that maybe what Midoriya was going to coach her up to do is to get near the edge of the ring uh, and quickly reach out and lighten up Bakugo and throw him down outside of the ring. Because we know that if, you know, when she was doing the softball toss, if she throws something up after her power has been applied to it, that it could float on into infinity. And maybe that would, against somebody who didn't have a power like Bakugo's, that would count as an immobilization. But for the last few episodes, especially since this sports festival thing has been going on, we've seen Bakugo prove to be pretty adept at aerial mobility with his power, so that wouldn't work.
0: Yeah, so her, I mean, he basically uses his powers like jetpacks.
1: Yeah, I mean, her only chance is to throw him down, to lighten him up so that she could leverage him, and to throw him down outside at the very edge of the ring. Um, that's, that's what I would think Midoriya might be saying, but I also feel like that's so simple for that to be his plan that his would be more complex. And as soon as it would happen, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense, too. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, you got to keep in mind, Bakugo is incredibly tactical. Like he is kind of an arrogant jerk. He's super, super good at being a tactician. So I imagine that they're going to get on the field and he's also super fast for for him to have the powers he does he's going to blast forward and knock her out of the ring like i don't see how she's going to do this i i want her to don't get me wrong but i'm really interested in seeing how they get this to work
1: and i have a hard time believing that bakugo isn't standing in that ring already underestimating ochako yeah And I think that that's how she has that sliver of he's only you you are only going to have one chance at this, so it has to work the first time because he won't make that same mistake twice. Because like you said, he learns, he adapts very well in combat. So I don't know. We'll we'll very quickly learn the resolution of this match. I hope it doesn't fly by like uh, you know some of these other matches that we saw that were very very quick, like Momo's and Mina's. I hope that they this one goes on a little bit longer. I want to see this. I want to see Ochako hold her own.
0: I do too. Even I if really she loses, do. I want yeah. her to
1: put up a fight because I think also that that would embarrass Bakugo quite a bit. And yeah. I'm okay with that.
0: I want Bakugo to have to work for this. Like, I don't think he, I know this maybe sounds bad, but I don't think he deserves an easy win. Right. So I'm we got to, we got to roll back a little bit. Uh, cause with Kirishima and Tetsu, 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 we have not announced the winner. Uh, it's true. It was a tie, which was kind of a letdown, I guess, to me. I really wanted one of them to win, I guess.
1: Who do you think it- wins the arm wrestling match that determines the actual winner? Because they both just simultaneously KO one another.
0: Right. And so, yeah, that's the thing is like Midnight considers it a draw. And then she says something along the lines of, who knows, maybe an arm wrestling match will re- determine this result. And I I have no idea. Like, they seem equal in every way. Right. So who knows? Maybe. uh, We'll see, I guess. I mean, they're going to have to figure out something. But I will say the one thing I'm kind of confused on, I was under the impression that Cementos was the judge and Midnight keeps stepping in and making these rulings. Like I thought at the beginning of the sports tournament or even the sports tournament, but the 1v1 tournament portion, Cementos made the stadium and then said he would be sitting by to make any final judgments or something.
1: I think he was there to use his power to separate or to protect somebody in the event that things were getting out of hand on the like danger scale. That was the sense that I got from him, where he was like, I will intervene using my powers over this entire ring to, you know, encase somebody and immobilize them if they're getting out of hand. Maybe we'll see that against Bagago. If he gets mad enough, if Ochako lasts long enough, maybe we'll see Cementos intervene and maybe. I don't know. Maybe Bakugo gets disqualified.
0: That would be interesting. I could see Bakugo getting disqualified for almost killing Achako. Me too. Yeah, that would be interesting. So, but yeah, we got Achako versus Bakugo next week. Uh, That's the last fight in the first round. So we know for a fact that we got Todoroki and Midoriya coming up soon.
1: Yes, and exciting.
0: I'm completely convinced. There's no way we are getting out of this tournament without seeing Bakugo versus Midoriya, which means, in my opinion, Midoriya is going to beat Todoroki.
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I'm not sure. I need to think on that a little bit more because, yeah, uh, I, you know, you you, you mentioned the Goku Vegeta interaction or similarity when when talking about Midoriya and Todoroki before, and I think it's more appropriately appra- applied to Bakugo and Midoriya. Oh,
0: I would agree with that entirely. Yeah, and it's I th- much more Bakugo and Midoriya.
1: And I think that if if they're going to to set that up. They might slow burn it a little bit more than this, you know, sweet sixteen thing. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, it, we'll, we'll, we'll I, I don't know. We, we will find out. That, that much is assured.
0: Yeah. What do you think? So I kind of had a thought. It wouldn't surprise me for the show to pull another kind of like. 180 like they did last season where maybe we get into the second round of these fights and halfway through a fight villains attack or something or something catastrophic happens and they all have to gang up with each other and hold hands and beat the villains or beat the catastrophic event do you think that something like that's going to happen in the next few episodes
1: i don't think so i kind of don't want anything like that to happen i don't either they certainly got enough like pro heroes kind of circling the arena on patrol. They're being vigilant. But at the same time, the last couple times that we've been exposed to a couple of those heroes, uh, Kamui is constantly having to remind them, hey, we've got a job to do. So it could be that they are distracted just enough by the excitement going on inside of the arena that it does allow some villains to get in. Yeah, Under and that's the really
0: the, the only reason that I mention it is because in these two episodes we consistently see Mount Lady and Death Hands and Kamui kind of talking amongst themselves, and normally they're super distracted. And right. I don't know if it, this is just kind of like fun exposition, like, hey, here's what the pro heroes are doing, here's a quick throwaway five-second scene, or if it's if they're doing it to remind us, like, hey, there are pro heroes around and they're really kind of not doing their jobs. So, I, it would be really dumb for the villains to attack the sports festival when, you know, like literally all of the heroes are there. Um, but I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if they create a distraction or something. I've I just, I, I really don't want that to happen. And I was kind of curious if you had any inclinations on whether or not you thought that might.
1: No, I don't want it to. I would like to see this resolved because it would just feel like a recycled gimmick a little bit. If it was just like, Oh, another thing put on by the school got interrupted. Um, so I don't know, especially this, this soon on the heels of what was the end of season one. I hope that they let that breathe a little bit and we get something different.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, we've seen that villain from season one watching the sports event. So we've seen him react to a couple of the fights at least. Um,
1: Really? Have we? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, was, uh, not, he wasn't. I don't think we've seen him in the last few episodes, oh. but I remember whenever we saw Bakugo uh, blast off in the very first race. I want to say that's when it kind of shifted to him, and he was watching it on TV, and he was like, oh, yeah, there's that kid. Huh. I, I might have missed that. Yeah. He showed up for like a split second. Uh, he was watching the sports festival. So I, I, it seems kind of a weird throwaway thing for them to include him if he's not going to be in this season.
1: Yeah. That's, I can get behind that. So,
0: I don't know. I guess we'll find out,
1: right? We'll find out. So, stay tuned. We'll we'll tackle episodes 22 and 23 next week.
0: Yep. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.
1: The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Network, And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at Almighty Pod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.